up to we're, we're gonna, uh, first of all I want to say uh, this is sponsored by friends of David Wicks in his memory you know this terrible tragedy happened to David Wicks the cra- there was a crane and the crane fell off, off of the building and uh, they were actually trying to get the crane down because of the winds in New York City there was one person on the street one person, you wow. can see in the picture, wow. there's one person that he was killed. Oh. Uh, David Wicks is a student of Yeshivat HaMiftar, and he's a student of mine, and we were very close. Uh, I married him, and he was, he, he was a very exceptional person. I mean, even though I don't have to say that, but he really was extremely uh, exceptional, a very kind, and a very concerned, and a very... Uh, very impressive, and his, his parents and his brother, they're all, uh, he grew up in Czechoslovakia and then he came to America and his parents sent him to uh, the Jewish flat bishops. They told him it was a prep school, but uh, at least when I went it wasn't a prep school. And then he went from there to Harvard and when he finished he came to the Yeshiva. And very clever. Everybody says he's very clever. But, uh, so, they're probably right. So, I went to the Shiva last week, that's why I wasn't here. I, w- I, went, uh, I went to New York for two days. And, uh, you, know, you know, everything, uh, there's a sadness to all things, but some things, we, uh, you know, like uh, car accidents. So, people say, you probably think in your head, it's dangerous to live. Now, living is a dangerous activity. And so a certain number of people get killed uh, by cars, and a certain number of people get killed by hurricanes. Uh, like we, we're sort of used to it. I don't know anybody who got killed. I mean, even though it's not true, apparently there are people, but to get killed alone on the street by a falling crane, 550-foot crane in New York City, in the city of New York, when they had to just do one thing and get the crane down from wherever it was onto the ground that they know how to do that and they don't know how to do that it was, it was, it was just uh, so this year uh, sponsored by his friends his friends wanted to uh, he liked to learn Chumash and Rashi a lot and so they wanted to set up a, a, a kind of Chumash and Rashi program for a year and, uh, and they're doing it they're, the, the, in the parish of Tzavet which is this week's parasha, we're going to learn about Big Day Kahuna. Right? In the parasha, there's a tremendous amount of detail about Big Day Kahuna, the clothing uh, mostly that the high priest wore in the Beit HaMikdash. The Big Day Kahuna, there were eight bigadim that he wore every day, every time he did a service, except on Yom HaKippurim where he wore, wore these are called Big Day Zahar those are the Bigadim that have a lot of gold in them but on Yom Kippur on Yom Kippur he wore Big Day Lavan just white right? no gold no, no purple uh, no, nothing like very simple very simple and that itself is a story I mean you don't have to know very much more than that fact to begin to understand what the big day kuhuna are about. But we want to kind of look 
a little bit more carefully through the eyes of Rashi, the Ramban, and the Svata Met in this case to see what exactly is going on. So the Pasuk says, Vata Kreve Lefa, you, Moshe Rabbeinu, bring close to you as Aaron Achicha Vetpa Navito, Mitofene Yisrael, Aaron, your brother, Vetpanav, his sons, Mitofene Yisrael, Chanuli, to become Kohanim. Now, now, of course, uh, this Aaron HaKohen was the first Kohen, even though Moshe Rabbeinu was also a Kohen. In other words, any time there was Avodah, like before Moshe Rabbeinu went up to Har Sinai, to get the Torah, they, they, they sacrificed. In the, 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 the young people all came and sacrificed. But Moshe Rabbeinu was the one who was in charge of the sacrifices. He was the Kohen and he passed the Kuna on to Aaron. The difference, of course, between Moshe Rabbeinu and Aaron is just that very fact that Aaron was the Kohen, but his children were not. Sorry, Moshe. Moshe was the Kohen, but his children were not. Moshe was the king, but his children, but his children were not. On the other hand, Aaron was the Kohen, and his children were also Kohanim, automatically. Uh, the king of Israel was David HaMelech, and his children were also uh, uh, Melachim. So here the Pasuk says, HaKrev Eilecha, you Moshe Rabbeinu, bring them close, Aaron Achicha, Aaron your brother, and Banavito, Mitov Bnei Yisrael Echanoli, in order to be Kohanim. Who are they? Who are these people? Aaron, Nadav, Aviu, Elazav, Itamar, Bnei Aharon. So Rashi says, Right, the Atah Kreve Lecha, Lacharsh Tigmor Melechet Hamishkan. That is, last week's parasha, Truma, is about building the Mishkan and the Kelim. After you finish all of that, then you have to appoint a Kohen. That's what that's what uh, God says to Moshe Rabbeinu. Then the pasuk that interests us today particularly. Okay, so you have all these words. The bigadim, the adjective that defines them is kodesh, sacred clothing. Sacred clothing. So, you know, if you have a halakhic mind, you might say, when do the bigadim become sacred? I mean, they start off as threads, and then they made into cloth. And then they cut the cloth and make them fit the person. So you could say, you could ask yourself that question, like, what does Kodesh, what does the word Kodesh, which we translate usually as sanctity, in other words, it, it's often true that we translate words we don't understand by other words that we don't understand, right? In other words, if I say table, I say tables, so I assume most people could come up with a very similar notion about what a table is. But if I say sacred, even though everybody knows what the word means, if they had to somehow uh, express that word in a drawing, or in a poem, or in a, in a paragraph, 
they would look totally different. So we know what the word means, but we don't know what the word means. So here we have a lot, a lot, three words of that kind in this pasuk. One is big day kodesh, the word kodesh. Are they kodesh intrinsically? Or are they kodesh because you use them, you wear them when you go to kodesh? Or is it some kind of combination of intrinsic sanctity and Right? Is it? Which is it? Which is it? And then you have those two words, kavodu letiferet. Mekavodu letiferet. I don't know what either of those words mean. I mean, no as in precisely. No in imprecise. I bet, you know, let we all, we could all do that. The word kavod, we know, sometimes has a very specific meaning. And that specific meaning is the presence of God. We call the presence of God Kavod, Kavod Hashem. Right? It's not God, but it's something that we can put up with. I'm assuming that we can't put up with God. I mean, we can't be in the same place or the same space. And what I'm saying doesn't mean anything because, of course, we all know that God is every place and God is in every space and God is at the Kotel and God is not at the Kotel. Nevertheless, there is the kind of awareness of the presence of God which is off-putting, which doesn't, which doesn't attract us but repels us. B'nai Yisrael, after they heard the Ten Commandments in Har Sinai, they said, it's not for us. You go, Moshe Rabbeinu. Find out what's going on up there in the closest place to heaven that we could even imagine. And they come back and tell us, we'll wait for you here, but we don't want to be involved. We don't want to be in that process. That's the B'nai Yisrael at the end of the parish of Mishpatim and B'nai Yisrael in Dvarim when Moshe Rabbeinu relates the story. He says, you didn't want to come close to God. I mean, the whole thing is hard to understand. On the other hand, it's very easy to understand. In, in other words, we know that Yira and Ava, Yira and Ava, fear and love, are when we speak about God, uh, happen simultaneously. Like there's sort of an attraction and then we know that we don't belong there. We know that, I mean, this, this was kind of a difficult idea that the capitalists, the capitalists used the, the words Ratzol Vashol, found in the, it was Navi Yecheskel, Ratzol, you go forward and you go backwards. For every step that you place, that you come closer to God, you realize that you don't belong there. And you go back. And then you feel oh, but I'm missing out, so I want to go forward again, and I come back again. This is the way the Kabbalists understood, understood the fact that, that after all, since we are Gashmi, right, we're physical beings, we have physical needs, we have to support ourselves with all kinds of, of stuff, like, you know, like we need, we need uh, food, and we need clothing, and we need, well, what's that got to do with being with God? I mean, you, you know, you don't ask God for lunch, that's not the way, the way we're saying somebody with God. That's why Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu, all the Chachamim agree. They weren't there, but they agree that Moshe Rabbeinu for 40 days or 40 nights didn't eat and didn't sleep. Of course they didn't eat and didn't sleep. I mean, conceptually. You, you, know, you know what I mean? I mean, how could it be that you're standing with God and you're eating? I mean, it's not, the whole thing is not Shaya. Why 40 days? 40 days is a limit. 
I mean, how long can a person go without eating, without sleeping? There's a, there's a limit. And that limit, apparently, according to the way Hazal understood what the Torah was saying, that that limit was 40 days and 40 nights. It doesn't make any difference what the limit is, but there's got to be a limit. Because the more you're going to be, the humanity in you drives you away from the mountain. So that the people of Israel, who are kind of not so certain about what was going to happen to them in this meeting of God and man. So they said to Moshe Rabbeinu, not for us. You, you're an experienced person in, in, in divine relationships. So the Pasuk says again, the Pasuk says, Kodesh, and then it says, Let Chavod So the word Chavod I talked about a little bit. And it doesn't matter what the word, you know, you know, you know how it is. Words have a lot of meanings. There are words that have a lot of meanings. You can look in a, in a dictionary and you see, you know, if you look in an Arabic dictionary, every word means camel. Someplace down the line, you know, you eventually get to a camel. And, and if you, and if you uh, use these kinds of words, the Hebrew words are covered with thread, you'll eventually get to chesed. Chesed is like an underlying, underlying thing. So that even though we were taught, I think, we were taught like if you have a word, you want to look up a word that you never, that you don't understand. You, you don't know whether you look at the dictionary. And the dictionary gives you ten meanings for that word. So what do you do? You go back to the sentence that the word appears in, and you fit them in. And the one that seems like it makes sense, that's the one that you use, right? That's the meaning of the word. However, it is also true, it is not, it is true, and also, right? It is also true that, uh, that the underlying meanings are always there. You know, that, that when you use a word, when you use a word, even though you think you're only using the primary meaning or a primary meaning, it's perfectly reasonable to say that you're also using, you're also getting other meanings. Other meanings are all there. They're always there all the time. And that's, that's why you're able to expand the understanding. So when I say kavod, kavod could mean something prosaic, like, you know, don't wear, don't wear your everyday jeans, but wear like golden raiments. But it could also mean something else. That it's the, it's for God. It's godly. It's you becoming part of the God empire. So that's the trouble. Tiferet is more difficult, so I'll leave it out of the discussion for a moment. Uh, Tiferet. Tiferet is, um, how do they translate it in, uh, in English? Splendor. Uh, with an O-U or without? <laughs> with. with an O-U. So, splendor. Uh, anybody knows, I think of fireworks. We call that splendor? Fireworks? You know, like... Uh, I don't know, who knows what that means. Tif Eret, however, is a very serious word. I mean, in Hebrew. In English, I don't think it's so serious. The Hebrew is a very serious word, a very hard, very hard to define. So that's what that's what it says. Uh, okay, so now we'll get to the Ramban. Get the Ramban. There's a programmatic Ramban. The Ramban is very important. I'll read it, every word for word. Retam Nadav Avil Nazami Tamar Bnei Aron. He quotes uh, 
שלא ייחשב כי בהימשך האב לכהנון יהיו הבנים האלו כהונים, אבל להם בעצמם יכהנו. זה אוקיי, זה בעיקרון כהנים על דר אוי מרד. והנה יצא פנחס ושאר הנולדים שלא נתכהנו רק אל הארבעה הנמשכים עמו ומולדתם אשר יולידו אחרי כן. אוקיי, so he's basically asking the question why Pinchas did not appear in the list. So Pinchas, it's not everybody, just these four. These four sons of Aaron became Kohanim with Aaron. I mean, he's saying, he's answering the question that he had in reading. Now he gets to Kavodu Tiferet and here the Ramban says something of extreme significance. He says, Sheyeh, Sheyeh nechbad umefoar bemalbushim nechbadim umefoarim. So he says, these words, Kavodu Tiferet, Yeh nechbad umefoar. Yeh nechbad umefoar bemalbushim nechbadim umefoarim. Right? Like these are words that you see in a newspaper. Beautiful clothes. Nechbadim, honorable clothing. Kimo she'amar ha'katuv kichatan yichahev pa'er. A chatan gets dressed up in fancy clothes. Ki eile ha'begadim levushay malchut heim. These clothes that we're referring to they are the clothing of kings. And in a similar way, in a similar way, Rasalo Ketodet Pasim, Yaakov made for Yosef Ketodet Pasim. Shepherusho, Miru Kemet, Kedmut Pasim. Now you know what Miru Kemet is? The Hebrew word Miru Kemet means to embroider. And what is embroider? What is embroider? What makes embroidery better than regular? In other words, what you invest in it, what you put into it, right? If you just cut a piece of cloth, so that's not much of an investment, but you embroider something, that takes a long time, it's a lot of effort, it's a certain amount of skill, right? That's embroidery. So the embroidery was, according to the Ramban, according to the Ramban, the Vushay Malchuteh. כדמותן יבש המלכים בזמן התורה, כמו שבסינו בקטונת, ועשו לקטונת פרסים, יעקב אבינו, שפירושו מרוקמת, אמברוידר, כדמות פרסים, והיא קטונת השבץ כמו שפירשתי. So what is it that is remarkable about this Ramban? To my mind, what is remarkable about the Ramban is, you cannot you would not be, you read the Sukkim again and again and again. And then you had a little like, you know, like they do in the modern education. But how do you teach, how do you teach children about Big Day Kuhuna? It's a big annoyance. 
a lot of details, a lot of words. So what do you do? And my daughter told me this. She says, what do you do? You divide the class up into groups. And then you give them pencils and crayons and, and paper. And you say to them, okay, draw the potion. Okay, draw the, the mitzvah. Right, draw it. And you see, amazingly, everybody's happy to do that. Believe me, they don't learn a thing. Not a thing. The only way you learn anything is through pain. Not through, not through uh, 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 coming home to the school happily. No. It's all about, it's all about pain. And, like it's painful to read, it's painful to, to memorize, it's painful to regurgitate, and it's painful, most painful to say that you don't know how to do it. You don't really know what it looks like. So they all draw, right? They all draw all the big day cool now that you want, and one thing is certain everybody draws something else. Because everybody draws, you tell them, well, we wore a blouse. So everybody thinks about the blouse that they have at home. Or you tell them that, they, that, uh, that he wore pantaloons. Everybody says, what? Well, what do my pantaloons at home look like? And that's what they draw. They draw the, the, what they had at home. Now here the Ramban. The Ramban knows very well that no one knows what the big day kahuna looked like. I don't care how many home roads you have and what the kids brought home from school and what it looks like in this book and in that book and do they look like Haredim or don't they look like Haredim which is always a big problem with big day kahuna. Not so much the big gadim themselves but the person who looks like he's the Kohen Gadol that's because <laughs> the, 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 the political issue that becomes the political issue. So... So, what, what do you think? Are there other examples where we don't know what something looks like? Yes. And that's why we needed the intervention of Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu had some information about how to build the various Kalim in the Beit HaMikdash. And so he showed the people. And there was even a case, or more than a case, where Moshe Rabbeinu didn't know how to do it. Which plea did Moshe Rabbeinu not know how to make? The menorah. So, so Moshe Rabbeinu did not make the menorah. So what did Moshe Rabbeinu do? He turned to God and he said, show me a menorah. And down it came from heaven. Right? A menorah came down from heaven. That's what you expect. So what should have happened here? What should have happened, I think, with the big day kahuna? Somebody should have said, uh, maybe God, you know, has like a, like a showroom. And maybe we can just like get a few ideas of what the big day kahuna look like. So, so should Moshe Rabbeinu be standing there and pulling down various articles of clothing that the Kohen Gadol should wear? And then everybody would know. We would all know what it looks like. But no, the Ramban said, the Ramban said, oh, what you do is you go to the king of Persia, who has an extensive royal, we'll say today, the Queen of England. You go to the Queen of England, who must have 8,000 hats. But they're all the same, right? It doesn't matter how many hats she has, they're all the same. Because she wears what the, queen of, the hat that the Queen of England wears. So you can say, oh, maybe that's a good hat for the Kohen Gadol. This is what he said. He's the Rambam. And he said, so you look at, you look at the, the colors, and you look at the clothing, and you look at the gold and the silver. Where do you look? You look at the king of Persia. 
the king of Persia, he's a guy who knew about these things. He was, he was a, a clothes horse. Right? Did I say that today? I mean, he like knew. He knew uh, what he should wear on which occasion. He was a star. He was a star. But I don't understand why call them did they Kodesh if they are just imitations at the Kabodin's era. If they're just imitations of the kind of clothes that other people wear, that, that, that the kings wear. And then he says, uh, I don't want to go into all the articles of clothing that he mentioned, but it will be showed, all these items of clothing that he wore, that the Kohen Gadol wore, the Katun. that uh, young women, uh, 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 unmarried, young unmarried women wore, and the kind of clothes that, that doctors wear, and the kind of clothes that, that lawyers wear, and the kind of clothes that kings wear. I mean, it's not such a, not such a big deal. Right? You can find them. And then he says, uh, the 13th century, the Rabban says, Mitzmeter, you ever see a king go without a hat? Never. Kings have hats. You know those hats that used to wear squishy hats with feathers sticking out? They, 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 uh, those feathers cost uh, dear. I mean, they weren't just feathers. You had to go pretty far from England to get a feather to stick into the hat of the guy who was in charge. And if you wanted to be in charge, but you weren't, I guess you just had to wear a hat. That's what they did. That's called the mitznefet. That's called the mitznefet. Skip a line. They fold the Even you know this breastplate that they wore, right? It had all these rocks on it. It symbolized somehow the twelve tribes. And the coin that don't wore, wore them and, and use them for certain purposes. So he says, he says uh, uh, that this is all called Levush Malchut. Kenyan Shekaduba Manaisa Dahata Zidaba al Sabarek. That the, the king wore this uh, kind of uh, plate around his neck made out of gold, like the jewelry. We call it jewelry, right? They called it kingly. Right, according to according to the the Rabban, Aksitz neizem malchutu uktiv uktiv a person can tell him Aksitz nizroh the hems haba gamanut chaylet uktiv kol kodo bat mezun bat melot nima mimishpitzotzu zahav lebusha that she wears especially crafted golden jewelry. Oh, Argavana, Tilbash, Ramanaichi, another Pesach in, in uh, Daniel. Vehatchelet, listen to this one. Yeah, the Ramban is just going through all of the items of clothing that are mentioned in reference to the Kohen Gadol. So from here he says, Vehatchelet, 
את חייבת? היא לא אומרת חייבת? את חייבת את ה... היא הייתה נקראת had this stuff in it, which Rav Herzog already surmised must be the source of what we call Tchelet. But he didn't know how to get it to dye things blue, because it looked white or gray. The stuff that came out of the snail, it looked white or gray. And in, modern, in more modern times, like uh, 30 years ago, maybe, a little less, It was discovered by a group of people, uh, uh, including some of my students, but not only, I have to admit, and that if you leave it out in the sun, you take this white stuff and you leave it out in the sun, the sun turns it purple, turns it into, and then if you use it as the base of the dye, you'll get the tchelet that the, that the Torah is talking about. And then, of course, there ensued a, uh, a halachic uh, uh, discussion about whether, if in fact you have tchelet, do you have an obligation to use it on the tzitzes that you wear? That was, that's a, an, uh, uh, an unresolved question, even today. Right? It's an unresolved, unresolved question. Uh, uh, all of this is very well documented in a book that was written by Dr. Sturman and Judy Sturman together. They wrote the book describing the hunt for Tchelet in modern times. But part of the story is that the Romans who were in control in Eretz Yisrael for a long time they decided that they didn't decide they, they felt that royal purple was something that could only be allowed for uh, the kings or people close to the king they were allowed to use that dye but other people were not allowed to use that dye and so as a result probably of that edict whether it's, which forbade the Jews from putting payments in their cities right the the exact method of getting the dye out of the snail was lost or forgotten. 
and it was just re, uh, rejuvenated in modern time. Rejuvenated, that is to say, you know, uh, some people feel that they should do it, and other people they shouldn't do it, which is a kind of a Jewish response to all things. So he says, <laughs> well, he says, he says this, uh, he says, he says that Chelet Gam Hayom Lo Yarim Ish Et Yadol Bosh Chutzvi Melech Goyim, and even today the Rambam says nobody would dare to wear Chelet except for a king, a king of uh, of, of the non-Jews. And he says, "Apostle, you ask them, or the highest government may have the bush bell foot, chaylet, the fool, the terrace, the hub, the love, the tafik puts our gaman, the tafrihu, and the ears, the tafo, the tafo." So, Mordechai, when we discovered Mordechai was Mordechai, and Haman was Haman, and Esther was Esther, and you know everybody is moving rapidly towards this happy ending in the Gilatus there. So Mordechai was given Bidei Malchut to wear. And the Bidei, Bidei Malchut, the, the kingly raiments, included the Chelet. He wore the Chelet. So that's what the Raman says. The Raman says, Goyim wore Chelet. And, and, and uh, uh, at, a special, at a special occasion, Mordechai was allowed to wear the Chelet because Achash Beiroz was so happy with what but he had. So, so I would say, I would say that this comment of the Ramban, this rather long comment of the Ramban, you might see it as being a little bit uh, uh, distressing. Like you know, you would hope that there would be something a little bit more, uh, I don't know, spiritual about it, just to say that the that the Kohen Gadol is like a king, and being like a king, he should wear the same kind of clothing that kings wear. Well, it seems to me to be a little bit... Uh, uh, I mean, you would expect uh, a kind of more from the Ramban. The other Ramban to say something a little bit more, more interesting. So, he does. And this is what he says. He says, Alderecha Emet. Alderecha Emet. I have this theory, which I can uh, happily share with you, that the Rabban felt that the Kabbalah, much more than the regular Niglet Torah, that the Kabbalah was based entirely on, on Pshat. In, in other words, whenever you came up with a Pshat, that seemed a little prosaic or regular or unimpressive. Oh, then the Kabbalah is going to rush in and change everything for you. So, <clears throat> so he, he often connects Kabbalistic understanding with simple pshat. Right? Even though it doesn't seem that there's a real connection, but you'll see how he works it out in this case. So here we are, Derech HaEmet. The Derech HaEmet is three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten lines in the bottom of the section. Yomar. Sheyasu b'dei kodesh laharon l'sharet fahem l'chvod Hashem ha'shochein b'tocham u'letif eret u'zam. 
So you have to just read this line. Yasub Kodesh, they'll make big day Kodesh, big day Kodesh sacred garments. How so? How are they sacred? Big day Kodesh Aron, the Shariat Bahem, to serve in them. Lechvod Hashem, Hashochein Betochah. Lechvod Hashem, Hatochein Betochah. What is Hatochein Betochah? Who dwells in their midst. Now you know that the Ramban had this theory. And that he expresses, in fact, in the beginning of the parasha of Truma, of last week's parasha, that the Beit HaMikdash, the Beit HaMikdash is very much a reflection of the story of Matan Torah. And you know that when Moshe Rabbeinu taught the Torah to B'nai Yisrael during the 38 years that they traveled in the desert, Moshe Rabbeinu would get the Torah, the next piece of Torah from God, in the Oel Moed, in the, the tent where they meet together. So that it's described in the, in the Chumash that the cloud would come down on the Oel Moed, indicating that Moshe Rabbeinu should come forth. Moshe Rabbeinu came in and he got the Torah and he taught it to B'nai Yisrael. Even though the 40 days of the 40 nights in Har Sinai, Moshe Rabbeinu also got the Torah. The Torah of Echdav, the Torah of Al-Tab, it's very hard to know exactly what Moshe Rabbeinu received. But the Torah describes, the Torah itself describes, that during the 38 years, Moshe Rabbeinu would go into the Old Moed, receive the next piece of Torah, right, the next part of Torah that he's supposed to teach to the days. Oh, he would always teach it to the days, right? He would always teach the next piece of the Torah to B'nai Yisrael. Does that, does that uh, make sense? Makes sense. So that means that the Mishkan, the Tabernacle, the Ol Moed, the Chatser, where the people were allowed to go, is a kind of a continuation of Har Sinai. Like Har Sinai, it was very intense. It happened in a day. And then there were 40 days or 40 nights, but it was very intense. And then the continued uh, uh, giving the Torah to Moshe Rabbeinu, who then taught the Torah to B'nai Israel, that went on for 38 years, piece by piece by piece. So when we say that the Kohen served God in the Mishkan, that means, that means to the Ramban, that the Kohen was serving God at Har Sinai. And the Rabbeinu B'chaya, as I think I've mentioned, says that the reason that the Jews never organized pilgrimages to Har Sinai was because Har Sinai didn't exist, as opposed to other places, right? Other places, Shechem exists, Beidel exists, Yerushalayim exists. You can go to those places, but you can't go to Har Sinai. The reason that you can't go to Har Sinai is that Har Sinai came with us. He came with us, right? What's Har Sinai? It's the experience of Matan Torah, but the experience of Matan Torah didn't stay in Har Sinai, but it came with us. So we intuited, we intuited that you visit Jerusalem, you don't visit, you don't visit Har Sinai because the Beit Hamikdash, the Beit Hamikdash represents the ongoing Matan Torah, the ongoing closeness to God. That's where it all, that's where it all takes place. So here he says, 
He says, Yomash Yasu the Dekodish Baron the Shoraid Bahem the Khabod Hashem Ashokhaim Bitokam that who dwells in their midst. Umitiv Erit Uzam Uz Oz Oz the strength is power to Verit Uzam Kidiv Kitiverit Uzamo Ata. This is something you can always say, Kiveret Ata. Right, they're talking about God. Go about God in the Beit HaMikdash. We're talking about Kavod and Tiferet means that the clothing make them worthy of this kind of connection. And that's what Rashi said at the beginning. Rashi said, who appointed Aaron Cohen? Who made Aaron the Cohen God? Oh, was Moshe Rabbeinu. Well, what was it that Moshe Rabbeinu had that no one else had before Aaron Akoi? That he could walk close to God. That he could walk with God. He could walk with God even without bigadim, without special clothing that in, 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 uh, uh, that, that uh, imply kavod and tiferet. But Aaron Akoi was not like that. Aaron Akoi didn't go up on Harsinai with Moshe Rabbeinu. Our Cohen stayed down in the camp and he even uh, caused himself a problem and that problem was that problem was that uh, you know they built the golden calf that's next to Sparsha so that here we see we see he's a very Zomo Azamo Atta right the Ketiv Beita Cheinu Betifarteinu Asheri Halalucha Avoteinu so here, I have to understand what the, what the soul, what the Kabbalah is doing. If the pshat was, if the pshat was that the bigadim, the clothing that Aaron Akoni is going to wear, distinguish him from the rest of the people, in that he is the king, and they look to him, they know who he is, right? You could recognize the Kohen Gadol because he's wearing special clothing, right? If that's the shot, the drash is something else. The drash is, or the soul, is that in order for Aaron Akoi to do what he is supposed to do, he's got to relate to the Kavod and Tiferet of HaKadosh Baruch and the way that he does that is like a kind of a psychology. He, he works on himself. The way he works on himself is that he has begadim that are kavod tiferet, which make him ra'ui to be the, the representative of B'nai Yisrael to God. That's what Aaron, just as, as Moshe Rabbeinu represented B'nai Yisrael to God, but he didn't need the begadim because he was that close. He was that close to God. Aaron Akoli needs to be Gadim because in nature he's not that close to God. And certainly his, his sons are not going to be that close to God. So they need the, the, uh, the, the Gadim to psychologically make them aware of what they're doing, of where they're going. And so that's Kita Veritu Zomo Ata, Oz with Tiferet makes a show that that's where it is. That's the Tiferet is in the Beit Hamikdash. Mechayim lefa'er mekom mikdashi mekom ragliach abed sheyeh mekom hamikdash mifo'ar b'Tiferet. That the Beit Hamikdash is going to be a place of Tiferet, a place of kavod, and therefore, in order for Aaron Akoyin to be Aaron Akoyin, he's got to be able to present himself. 
with kavod and tiferet. The mekom maglav shu mekom beit hamikdash mechubad bekvod Hashem. V'chein, v'chein uvi Yisrael yitpa'er sheyeh mar'eh u'miyachet bahem tifartor. V'chein amar lamata gam uvidei abanim kulam v'inei hamizbeach kulam mechvod hiferet so you see that in the most intimate way, the word Tiferet is used to describe what goes on in the Beit Hamikdash when 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 God is there, when the uh, God God is with you in that Beit Hamikdash. The Hakavod Now, the Rabban adds one little thing. And he says, he says, this is the Rabban, it's not what I think, the Rabban says, Yitachem, this is the, like a crux, people have talked about this, since the Rabban, he says, Yitachem, she'yiyutzrichim kavana, sorry, back a half a line, la'yua v'gadim tzrichim asiyan lishma, you have to make the, in, in other words, he's finished with the soul. He's going back to the pshat. The pshat is, remember what the pshat was? That you look at the king of Persia, and you look at the queen of England, and you know how the coin Gadol should dress. You know. You don't need God to tell you. You don't need divine intervention to show you what this clothing looks like. And then he says, he says, V'hayu abagadim shrichim asiyah. Lishma. But these, the clothing that the Kohen has, that's not the same stuff that the Queen of England or the King of Persia wear. No, no, no. Because these clothes, this clothing is made with special kavana, with special intention. The special intention that they should be used for the Kohen Gadol, and so the Rabban says, you probably need Kavanah. What is that? How do we do Kavanah? How do we do it? We make a bracha. Right? We make a bracha. Well, you have to do when you do something. And when you do something, you need Kavanah. We don't have a bracha. Like a sofer is writing a sacred Torah. So every day he goes to the mikveh and he comes back and he says, L'shem mitzvah sefer Torah. He's not he writes God's name in the Torah. He says, Kavanah. I have Kavanah to do it. And therefore, because that's why in the next pasuk, it's not on the sheet, but the next pasuk, God says to Moshe Rabbeinu, you go and explain this to the Chachmei Leif, to the people who are wise in their hearts, and they know how to make this kind of clothing. Why? They should understand that they're not making clothes. They're making special clothes. Clothes so that even on the level of shot, even if you think that they're imitating the king of Persia, etc., they're merely preparing the clothing for the Kohen Gadol to use in the Beit HaMikdash, etc. So, we have these two, uh, these two decidedly somewhat contradictory positions. On the one hand, the Rabban says, they're clothes. They're regular clothes. 
he should look good. He should look good. He should look like a king. He should be able to wear the kind of clothing only kings wear. He doesn't explain why. Why this is important, right? But then Adar Hasod, and he sort of like continues, continues his original position into Adar Hasod. Adar Hasod is that uh, that uh, that the Kohen Gadol did not have the capacity that Moshe Rabbeinu had to join up with the Kavod and Tzitzit of the Beit HaMikdash unless he wore special clothing that kind of encouraged him in that direction and gave him the opportunity to be part of the Kavod and Tzitzit which was part of the essence of the Beit HaMikdash which according to the Ramban is an ongoing replay of Matan Torah, which is probably why the, the Kuzari and, and the later thoughtful uh, Jews who said, said that, that the Torah continues to be given all the time. You know, you could say, in Tzipotis, the Rabbah said, the Torah we have is exactly the same Torah that was given to Moshe Rabbeinu Hasinai. Right? That's the Rabbah. And that's who some people who have time say it every morning if you have if you have the wherewithal you know you could say those anima I mean one of them number four or number five is is anima that the Torah that we have that we have today is exactly the same Torah that was given to Moshe Rabbeinu at Har Sinai so okay some things are a little difficult to fit into that notion but that's what that's what the, uh, the Rambam thought. The Rambam's conclusion was that you have to say that. If you don't say that, if you don't believe that, then the whole thing comes apart. Then there's no, there's nothing really left, nothing really left in the Torah that you could believe in. Because if something is a mistake, then everything could be a mistake. You, you don't know about whether it's a mistake or not. So logically, logically, the Rambam was right. However, over the years, we've developed a kind of a way of, of dealing even with, with, that, uh, difficult, with that difficult question. So that the Kavodotiv Eret, the Kavodotiv Eret of the Pshat, which is Malchut, imitating divine qualities, they in fact are, seem to be very prosaic, but according to the Sod interpretation, they enable the Kohen to be in consort with the Kavod and Tiferet of the place, which in turn, according to the Ramban, represents Matan Torah itself. And even though Matan Torah is ongoing, right, because we know that there are new Shilas, new Psach, nevertheless, nevertheless, if we are uh, uh, industrious enough, we will understand that this ongoing idea of the uh, of the Torah being given, you know, throughout the generation, is somehow uh, we are able to accommodate it to the idea that it's the same Torah that Moshe, Moshe Rabbeinu uh, received. Today, we don't live in theological times, to the best of my observation. I don't, uh, I didn't do a study. I don't think we live in, in, in uh, theological times. I don't think people are interested in theology, I think people are only interested in whether it makes them feel good, whether they like it, whether they can find 
peace and solace in, uh, in, in religion, in doing and living a certain kind of life and doing it, doing it in a certain kind of way. Here and there, on the fringes, there are people who might be called theologians. Uh, Rabbi Sachs, for example, he's, he probably could be called a theologian. But, uh, and people like what he wrote, but not, um, you know, they don't make movements. Huh? He's got a movement. He's just a nut. You know, so that's, uh, that's how it is. That's how it is. Is it theologian or philosopher? Yeah, but uh, theologian is explaining God, right? Explaining things about God. So if you start off with an assumption, philosophers don't have to, they go for, they don't have to believe in God or not believe in God. I mean, you have to start from someplace, but the place you start from doesn't have to be a belief in, in God. It could be anything. The world was there forever, you know, like Aristotle. Uh, who in the, in the Middle Ages was held in very high regard by, uh, by a variety of Jews. And so uh, they had to try to skip over that part. But the Rambam, it wasn't so difficult because the, the Rambam said that Aristotle, I mean, he didn't say I'm making it up. The Rambam said that Aristotle, had he been at Matan Torah, like at the foot of Har Sinai, so he would have believed the same thing we believe. But unfortunately for him, he was like on a tour of uh, southern uh, Greece or something. And uh, so he, he just wasn't there. He didn't know. He didn't know there's some things that you can't figure out. But they're true because they are true. Right? But you don't know that they're true unless you were there. So that was Aristotle's problem. He didn't know exactly what, 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 how the world was created. Because he didn't have the Torah. The Torah uh, uh, takes care of the problem. It says, God created the world. So that, that's it. If you believe in the Torah, you've just solved the problem. You don't have to think about it too much. Uh, and if you never heard of the Torah, you might come to a different conclusion. Right? So that Har Sinai, Har Sinai is of extreme importance. The idea that there was a Torah given to B'nai Israel at a particular time, after you see the science, of course, tremendously, uh, tremendously important to, to us in terms of, you know, how we organize our belief system. Uh, but if you weren't there, uh, you weren't there. That's what, as Hazal always say, we were all there, right? So there was something else I wanted to show you. So I said this with Michael will do it next week. Where does that happen? Is it, you know, in the If I thought I knew anything about what you're talking about, I would tell you. But I don't. I don't think about it. I think. Uh, I find that uh, the people who say that every tragedy is good, you know, like it's kind of a... I find that the personally unpleasant. 
I don't. I don't know. I mean, you could always say that there's a higher order of things, and that understanding in the higher order of things they make sense somehow. You know. On the other hand, on the other hand, I think that uh, that God gave us the ability to reason in order that we should reason. And that if something bothers us, if something bothers a person, something about the way the world seems to be run, which is kind of haphazard, um, then you have to find a way to discuss it. But I don't, personally, I don't know the answer to the question. I have no idea. I have no idea. The tragedy also, sometimes when you look at it carefully, turns out to be worse than you imagined. This particular tragedy is in that category. In what way is it in that category? If I wanted to tell you, I would tell you. <laughs> okay. Have a good time. Have a good time.